Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I am Michael Kingswood, retired naval officer, Christian, dad, and writer extraordinaire. I mostly focus on science fiction and fantasy, but I've been known to write just about everything under the sun, including the occasional romance. The purpose of this podcast is to share my stories with you, the reading slash listening public. So sit back and relax, because I'm going to tell you the story. Hey friends, I'm Michael Kingswood, and it's story time. And it has been a pretty good week. A busy week, and uh, culminating in busyness yesterday and Friday. Uh, recording this on Saturday, <coughs> unlike uh, a little later on Saturday than I normally do, um, because yesterday I spent all day up in L.A. I, uh, yesterday was the Writers of the Future Awards Gala. I get to it every year uh, since I have been submitting to that contest for over a decade now and at some point now 10 years ago they like hey you're nearby want to come fill out the crowd and every year since then i've come and filled out the crowd except when i've been at sea back when i was still the navy and when they didn't have it because of all the covid shenanigans uh so i took the day and uh ubered my way up to make money on the way back hung out at the gala and met met a bunch of people and uh saw friends i hadn't seen in a while mentors I haven't talked, seen face to face in a while a couple of people i met a couple of new people and i got to uh congratulate all the writers who won and the illustrators who won it was great and all you guys can be jealous because the uh, volume 39 anthology is released but it's not gonna be available till may 15th but i've got a copy nyeh, 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 nyeh. and it's signed by all the, the writers and the illustrators some good stuff in here. I'm going to check this stuff out. They always put together a great book every year when they do this. And, of course, the the gala itself is always awesome. It's a very nice facility that they use it, that they do it in. Um, they switched to facilities a couple of years ago. The last place was good, but I like this place better because, A, the food's much better. But also it's a little, it's a little more ergonomic <laughs> to get around inside and uh i think it works better than the old place so hey then nobody asked me but then it's how it is uh so it was a pretty good time uh, yeah i met a couple met a one lady elaine who i uh of course bonded with online for a little bit and never met her in person before and that was cool uh met a couple uh you know writers that i've known from the past from a few previous writers of the future events and you know some other new folks who uh hadn't met before uh but hit it off pretty well um fellow navy veteran who was a writer who came in from utah and we spent the spent the uh, the uh the the dinner just chit-chatting about cool stuff and and uh i was yeah it was a good time i played it a little fast and loose this time it's a you know black tie thing and i always go in my suit and my tie and put on my nice but really uncomfortable leather shoes but this time <coughs> since i was trying to be driving all day i brought my my black sneakers along and for, for the drive and by the time i got up there i was like you know what screw it nobody's gonna care if i wear my sneakers and i didn't put my tie on for the whole drive and uh i got in there and i realized oh, i haven't put my tie on yet ah screw it nobody cares and somehow <laughs> nobody noticed the shoes but everybody was like man you got a great look going on tonight and it's like 
All right, cool. I guess we're not doing doing a tie here anymore. <laughs> Nobody cared, and I'm not a big fan of ties anyway. So to heck with it. I guess we'll uh, if slash when I get up on the podium as a winner. Well, I guess I'll have to do the tie thing for that. But eh, whatever. So that was a good time. Um, if you're not familiar with the contest and the annual anthology they put out for it, you really should check it out. It's uh, always great. Uh, new writers, some of them are their first or professional sales. Um, the rules is you can't enter this thing if you have more than uh, three short stories published at professional rates or more than one novelette published at professional rates. And if you have a novel published, you're out. And if you're indie published and have a title that has sold more than any one particular title that has sold more than 3,000 copies, you're proed out. Um, so I've had some professional sales of short stories in the past, but the great thing is they raised the uh, the short story uh, official uh, short story pay rate for professional sales, and right as a feature raised their requirement too. So suddenly those those professional short story sales that I made a few years back they don't count anymore because it's at the old rate. And it's like, oh, cool. <laughs> That's pretty great. So suddenly, even though I was getting close to proing out, suddenly I'm way in the clear again. Uh, proing out would be just fine. But it'd be nice to win the thing. Closest I've come is semifinalist. Semifinalist is the uh, top 16 of the thousands of stories that have been uh, submitted that quarter. And you get a personal critique of the story from the, the head judge, which at the time was David Farland. He has since passed away, unfortunately. But uh, So that was very cool. Um, yeah, close enough come to, to, to winning this one. Who knows? We'll see how it goes this year. Um, <clears throat> so that's what I was doing yesterday, and that's why this is going to be uh, posted today a little bit later than normal. But hey, at least I'm getting it out on Saturday, as opposed to a few weeks back where I missed a couple weeks. Yeah, is what it is. But hey, so what were we here for today, besides me talking about the cool day I had yesterday, was Story Saturday, where we are continuing to go through stories from The Great Challenge, the 52 stories in a year challenge that I did a couple years ago, which is in parallel with the same challenge that I'm doing now this year, and this is story number 45. And as, as you've seen many times before, the last time I did it, I compiled it all into this one big, huge, thick volume. Uh, this year, I'm um, breaking it up into five, five collections of ten. That was what the Kickstarter was for a month or so ago. And just about done getting the surveys um, uh, responded to from the backers. Um, still waiting on a few stories from the proofreader. Um, but once that's squared away, we'll be getting that collection out to folks here in the next few weeks. And we're just about ready to uh, <laughs> get the Kickstarter going for volume number two because this week is going to be story number 19 on the year, I think. Yeah, 19. Um, so, yeah, we're cruising right along. But this week, we're still back in the first great challenge, and we are reading a story number 45, which is called The Briefcase, which is a kind of a spy slash crime courier story, you know, pick up gone awry kind of story. And of course, 
I wrote it. I'm reading it. My voice is still a little wonky from the, <coughs> excuse me, from the uh, allergy-induced post-nasal drip slash cough that I've been dealing with for the last week and a half, but um, it is still going to work out pretty well. Uh, so sit back, enjoy, and I'll talk to you on the flip side of it. The slide of Jack's Glock locked to the rear, his magazine empty. He reached for another one, only to find his pouches of spare magazines were empty as well. He was plumb out of ammo. There were at least two men left of the team that had come after him. The sounds of their movements gave them away, and right before he had shot off his last two rounds, he'd heard one call out to the other. There was no chance his final shots had hit anything. He fired them blindly around the corner of the marble column he was crouched behind, just suppressing fire to keep their heads down so he could move again, except that now he was flesh out of ammo and just as pinned down as he had been a moment ago. And how did he let that become a surprise? Jack had undergone extensive training over the years, and he'd learned early to keep track of his rounds, fired, so he knew exactly what he had left. But this op had gone so badly, so quickly. It was supposed to be simple. Bring a bundle of cash to the drop-off and swap it for the merchandise. What merchandise, Jack didn't know and didn't care. He was a courier, nothing more, working on a contractual basis, and he never asked what was in the package he had been hired to pick up and deliver. He often had to do exchanges like this, though, and that carried a bit of risk for things to go wrong, which was why a guy with his former military and intelligence experience was the right man for the job. Most of the relatively few professional couriers he had met had similar backgrounds to his. But he had never had a job go this completely wrong, and without warning. The cash had been left in a black canvas duffel bag stashed in a locker at the bus terminal three blocks from Jack's hotel. His employer had given him the key, along with his down payment for the job the night before. This morning at 1000, he donned charcoal gray slacks and a matching suit jacket with a light blue collared shirt that he left open at the collar and his Glock in his shoulder holster beneath his left armpit and black leather gloves. And he'd gone and retrieved the bag. As expected, no issue there, and he walked to a charming street-side cafe with yellow awnings overhanging the aging flagstone sidewalk out front and bare metal-framed chairs set alongside round tables for two with white tablecloths and yellow placemats. There he sat and enjoyed a light lunch and coffee while he watched the Paris street traffic stream past. He'd always hated this town, tried to avoid it whenever he could, but his last several contracts had sent him here, and this particular one had a nice paycheck associated with it, so he sucked it up. Still, he couldn't wait to get back to a place that didn't have pretension so seemingly baked into its very soul. After an hour of replaying the plan for the exchange in his head, he grabbed a cab and made his way over to the appointed place for the exchange. It was a commercial building that looked like it could have been a museum. It was so extravagantly constructed, with a wide stone archway leading into a front courtyard about 40 feet on a side. It was paved with gray-white marble and ringed by square white columns that surrounded an eight-lobed fountain with a gray stone statue of a fish riding a wave up toward the sky in its center. Naturally, water spurted out of the fish's mouth, leaving a soft trickling sound that echoed off the stones of the courtyard. Jack arrived at just after 1300 and found the courtyard empty, except for a lone man who stood across the fountain from the arched entrance. He was older, approaching 50 from the look of him, lean, with curly, dark brown hair, nearly black, that was going gray at the temples, and a small nub of a nose that was crooked as though it had been broken a few times in the past. He wore a black leather jacket over a red shirt that buttoned halfway down his chest and was collarless, 
in slacks that were just gray of black and black leather shoes. His eyes were concealed behind round-ribbed sunglasses, and he gave the impression of continually scanning the area, checking all the angles. When Jack stepped into the courtyard, the man stiffened slightly, then stepped back from the lip of the fountain. He was carrying a black leather briefcase in his left hand. His right was free and lingering close to the hem of his jacket. There was no noticeable printing, but he was almost certainly carrying at four o'clock on his belt. Jack raised the duffel bag so his contact could see it, then slowly maneuvered clockwise around the fountain. All was silent except for the trickling of the water. There was not even a breeze, and Jack was beginning to sweat from the early autumn warmth, combined with the tension that he always felt when a job neared its pinnacle. As he approached the man, he detected, alongside the odor of dampness from the fountain, the faint smell of cigarette smoke lingering. No surprise the man was a smoker, many in France were. The man's head turned to follow him as Jack approached, and when Jack stopped a dozen feet away from him, he gave a little nod. Manchester United sucks. The man's voice had, of all things, an Austrian accent. It was more high-pitched than Jack would have thought to look at him, and slightly raspy. Too many cigarettes. Jack replied, with the response phrase his employer had given him. Not as bad as Liverpool. The man's lips quirked ever so slightly. Then he set the briefcase down on the marble tiles right up against the fountain's lip. Jack dropped the duffel bag and kicked it over toward him. He was just beginning to squat down to open it and check the contents when all hell broke loose. At first, Jack thought his contact had decided to pull a fast one, as four men in black fatigues and wearing black baklavas sprang into view from behind the rear columns just as the man was reaching for the bag. They had rifles. In a glance, he identified them as Steyr Og bullpups. As they raised the weapons, he cursed inwardly and began to raise his hands above his head. But then Jack's contact noticed his motion and froze, then turned. He shouted an oath when he saw the men and moved to draw his pistol. One of the men's rifles barked twice and Jack's content went down, blood spurting from his back where the two rounds punctured the center of his chest and passed through. Jack didn't wait for them to decide to take him out, too. He dove toward the nearest column, behind him, striking the marble tiles on his shoulder and rolling. Another rifle fired and he felt as much as heard the bullet zip over his body as he completed his roll, then he slid around the column and got up into a crouch, drawing his pistol. His ears were ringing from the percussion of the rifle shots, amplified and reverberated by the stone of the courtyard, and he went through the situation in a split second it took for him to reach his feet. Someone had sold them both out, him and his contact, and he was alone with a handgun against four men who moved like they had training and who had rifles. He was screwed. It went through his head that they might be cops. He put that aside as quickly as it came. Their equipment was devoid of organizational logos, and if they had been cops, they would have identified themselves as such immediately. So, mercs. They wouldn't take prisoners. Totally screwed. But if that's how it was, he could at least go down fighting. He heard their boots on the stones of the courtyard as they spread out to either side to envelop him. If he stayed here, he was dead. If he was to have any chance, he needed to move. Make for the courtyard entrance, although... There had to be more than one way into this place. The men had to have come from somewhere. Something to worry about later. He raised his weapon and edged around the corner of the column muzzle first. He immediately saw a black figure moving to his right. Reacting with instinct, Jack leveled the sights on him and made a trio of shots before pulling back to cover. Multiple rifle shots from ahead passed the column and to his left, and he heard the ricochets as the bullet struck the stone on the right-hand side of the column where he had just exposed himself. 
He ducked left and fired several more times at the first black figure he saw. Then he drew a deep breath and sprinted to the right. It was about 15 feet from his column to the next, and he would be exposed the whole way. But he was hoping they would have tracked with his last exposure and looking to the left side while he went right. A phrase went through his mind as he heard more rifle shots come from behind him. Kansas City shuffle. They look left, you go right. Then he dove as he heard the hiss snap of a bullet passing close by. So much for the Kansas City shuffle. He struck the marble and slid, and felt something tug at his right calf just before he reached the next bit of cover. Pain followed a second later, and he looked down to see his slacks torn and red welling up from his leg. But a slow stream, not a flood, and he was able to move his foot freely. A grazing wound, then, could be a lot worse. Jack forced himself to his feet and looked to his right toward the next column and saw an expanding pool of red. He blinked and risked a quick look around the corner to be sure. Son of a gun! The guy he'd shot at first was down, flat on his face, and the blood looked to be coming from his neck. That was one hell of a lucky hit. There were still three more of the bad guys, though, and they were firing again. He fired as well, multiple shots from each side of the column, stopping to snap a fresh magazine in before doing it again. The whole way his thoughts were racing. They wouldn't fall for the Kansas City shuffle again. Hell, they hadn't fallen for it the first time. But whatever, it let him get this far. He glanced right again and got off a few more shots toward another of the figures before ducking back. Three more columns, and then he could make a dash for the archway. More rifle shots? Enough that he couldn't hear anything else. But he thought he only heard two distinct weapons. What happened to the third guy? Had he hit him with his wild shots? Duck left. He saw one of the mercs approaching the column he had just left, and he fired at him, then pulled back. Just seconds left, and they'd have him flanked. Cover would be useless. He swapped magazines again, then went right and fired, but this time he kept on going, sprinting for the next column. It wasn't a grazing shot this time. He felt the impact in his left side and just about crumpled into the column, just barely making his way around to cover again. The columns ringed the fountain. So he would have cover from the Merc by the first column for a few seconds, but he was hurt badly now. He felt the burning just above his left hip, and his hip and thigh were already wet from the bleeding. Even if he escaped, he wasn't going anywhere, bleeding like a stuck pig. The cops... There was a lull in the rifle fire, and he heard distant but louder by the second the wailing sirens of the police. The Mercs must hear it too, and they wouldn't want to get caught either. Maybe they would pull back. Maybe he could get them to do it. Hear that? Not much time, he shouted the words, trying to sound strong, confident, defiant. He wasn't sure how well he did. The mercs didn't respond verbally. They did shoot again. He went to return fire and then realized he was out of ammo. Completely out. Son of a bitch. Jack cast about looking for something, anything that could help him get out of this situation. The wall of the courtyard behind his column was sheer, and even if it wasn't, it's not like he could climb it. Not injured as he was, and not without getting shot again. More rifle shots, and the police sirens were getting louder. Jack ducked his head around and saw one of the men in black crouched behind the fountain, near where he had dropped the duffel and his contact had left the briefcase. He pulled back just before another shot, then he heard one of the men say something in a language he didn't know, Though it sounded familiar, he had heard it before, he just didn't understand it. Couldn't say when, just then. The men fired again, and then there were rapid bootsteps. 
Jack risked taking another look and saw the three men, two moving quickly, the other more slowly, with a limp. They were heading back toward a gap in the columns they'd entered through, and one of them carried the duffel bag. Son of a bitch. Without thinking, Jack stepped out of the cover of his column and swore at them. The man at the rear stopped and looked back at him. He didn't bother raising his rifle, just his middle finger. Then he followed his fellows past the columns toward whatever exit they'd used before. Jack tucked his Glock back into its holster and moved as quickly as he could toward the far side of the fountain. It was slow, labored, the pain in his side becoming more intense with the second. By the time he got to the place where his contact lay dead, he was almost doubled over, his left hand clutching at his side. He was beginning to get dizzy, and when he looked down at himself he saw why. His pants leg was completely slick with blood, and he had left bloody footprints across the marble of the courtyard. If he didn't stem the bleeding very soon, he was going to be in big, big trouble. The sirens were very loud now. He was in big trouble no matter what. But then he saw the briefcase, still sitting there where the contact had put it, unopened. Unbelieving, Jack picked it up and tried to flip the golden latches. Certainly not real gold, but who knows, that held it shut. Locked. Locked with a pair of combination locks and he didn't have the combo. Apparently the bad guys didn't either. Or they were only after the money. Either way, Jack wasn't going to question his luck. If he could somehow slip out of here and get back to his employer with a briefcase, he would have been successful with his part of the exchange at least, and he could get paid. More importantly, his employer wouldn't think he had tried to screw him. Couriers had found themselves with contracts on their heads from former employers who they tried to shaft, and Jack certainly didn't want that. He stripped off his suit coat, or he tried to, his pained side didn't make it easy, but he managed. Then he shrugged off his shoulder rig and dropped it into the fountain. The gun couldn't be traced back to him. He had bought it from the local black market and he had never handled it with his bare hands. Then he balled up the coat and pressed it to his side to try to help staunch the flow of blood, and he picked up the briefcase. The sirens were an overwhelming scream as he followed the mercs through the exit they had used. Sure enough, there was a side entrance to the courtyard a black wrought-iron gate that was hidden from the side of the fountain by the positioning of the columns and the short alcove where the gate was tucked into. It was standing ajar from the Merc's passage, and Jack wasted no time pushing his way through. It opened into an alleyway that ran along the side of the courtyard and the building it was attached to. To the right, toward the main drag where he had come in, the sirens had stopped, but he saw lots of activity, as the police were most likely setting up a cordon. They knew the city's layout better than Jack did. If they didn't already know about this alley, they would shortly, and they would move to block the other end, wherever it came out. Jack couldn't tell because the alley, bent to the left a few tens of yards down in the other direction from the main street, following the building's wall. The alley was paved, but also dirt-crusted and unclean. There were ten-gallon-sized trash cans and other debris strewn about, outside of closed red and blue and brown doors that led to the surrounding buildings. It was narrow enough that it would be very difficult to drive down, except maybe in a Mini or one of those tiny Fiats. But even then, looking around quickly, Jack didn't see any sign of the tire marks in the dirt on the alley's floor. That wasn't definitive, but it suggested the Mercs hadn't driven away. Regardless, he wasn't going to, and he needed to get out of here rapido, or face the French prison system, and he didn't want that. He considered for a moment going back into the courtyard and playing possum, the innocent bystander who had been in the wrong place at the wrong time, he just as quickly threw that idea aside. 
He had gunshot residue all over his gloves and the sleeves of his coat and the shirt, and there was probably an Interpol notice out on him. At the very least, his fingerprints were on file in the DOD database. Also, he really could not let the briefcase out of his sight, and he would get confiscated as evidence for certain. And he had no idea what was in it. Getting caught with it might make matters even worse. So he set off down the alley as quick as his feet could carry him. Thirty paces on, though, he knew he wasn't going to make it out of there. He could barely walk, and he was getting more and more dizzy. Worse, despite the heat, he began to feel cold. He was swaying on his feet, but he had to keep going. Couldn't be caught. He staggered against one of the alley walls. He hadn't even realized he was going to do it until the stone of the wall smacked him in the chest. He gasped as the impact made his wound flare up in a new pain, but he tried to force himself off the wall to go on. If he could just make it, he could get to a doctor, square things with his employer. Must go. He thumped into something hard, and it moved. His voice darkened, but he thought it was a door, and it swung open under his weight. Then there were hands on his shoulders, and he thought he saw wide eyes looking at him with surprise and fright. Something spoken in French, but he couldn't make it out. He tried to pull away and found himself on the pavement, or he thought it was the pavement. The whoever it was who had caught him stood over him, and Jack thought he recognized him. Was that his employer? He made it. Here it is, he said feebly. He hefted the briefcase, or he tried to. He could only raise it an inch. Take it. The person seemed to look at it, and he saw a shadow moving toward the briefcase's handle. A hand? Jack smiled in satisfaction, or he thought he did. Call doctor, he said. It seemed loud to his ears, but it came out as just a whisper. The young man, Gaston, who had followed him out of the door when he fell, bent over, taking hold of the briefcase as he did. But he couldn't make out what the stricken man was saying. It was too faint to hear. He could make out the rattle from the man's throat a few seconds after that, though. He had heard it on the streets many times, and before then from his own father as he breathed his last. Gaston straightened and looked both ways down the alley. To the right, the way was clear. No one in the alley at all. To the left, the cops were out in the street there, and they would be coming down the alley soon, looking for this man. He lifted the briefcase and looked at it. It was nice, made of good black leather, with gold clasps. Probably cost more than he had managed to make in the last month of begging and stealing whatever he could. Gaston swallowed. Whatever was in the case, the man had been killed for it and the cops would want it. Which meant it was probably even more valuable than the case looked. He glanced around, still no one. Then he backed into the hallway he had just been coming out of and closed the door to the alley. He locked it, then hurried up to the seedy little flat that he had managed to rent for the fortnight, there to count his loot and plan his certain-to-be-much-improved future. Okay, so not exactly a happy ending for our main character, Jack. Maybe a good ending for Gaston. Not sure. Um, I think when I wrote this, I intended to get back to our little uh, beggar boy there and figure out what happened with him. I haven't done it yet. Maybe it'll be something I do in the future. Maybe not. <laughs> There's always something different to write. Uh, so I uh, hope you dug it. It's, uh, it is what it is. I kind of enjoy putting it together. I think I was writing this at... Uh, workshop of some kind. I was in Vegas, if I remember right, writing this during one of the workshops I went through up there, writing workshops that I went through. I don't remember if it's a business one or if it was a sci-fi one. Uh, 
sci-fi writing instruction one. Um, but I remember crunching through it uh, near the deadline because you're so busy in these workshops. I was like, oh, geez. So I, uh, uh, as I was writing it, I wasn't sure how it was turning out, but uh, reading back over it a few times now, it's like, I think it's okay. Um, hopefully you did too. If you don't like it, well, sorry. There's 51 other stories in the collection. And if you've been listening to the channel, you know they're good, most of them. And if you haven't bought the collection yet, you really need to. You might want to go to michaelkingswood.com slash store. There you can get stories of a great challenge. And really, everything I've written. There's a few things still that are not up there yet, but uh, that's just because of number of hours in the day <laughs> getting that thing updated along with everything else um that's the majority of my stuff you can find there um most of the stuff that's not there is just an individual individual short stories that uh aren't up but it's better to go there than to go to all the retailers you can of course go to all the various retailers but uh coming straight to the ssn storytelling web store which is my the business that is associated with my writing endeavors uh cuts out that middleman so the artist namely me gets better profit margin, and you get a direct relationship and a better feeling of direct support for the work that you enjoy. So it's definitely better to do that. But up to you whether you go to uh, the proper place to get my stuff or the other places, which, which are fine. I mean, Amazon's cool, and so is Apple and Kobo and all the rest. Yeah. But let's face it. You know the right answer. Okay, so what else is going on? You maybe you've probably noticed, uh, maybe not, that um, uh, that I didn't do the uh, streamyard recording thing with the banner this time. I found when I did that last year, last year, last week, that uh, it really didn't help the, the workflow much at all because I had to export it from streamyard and bring it into my uh, uh, video processing software and then split it up and do all this stuff, where it's just just easier just to record within my video processing thing and then already have have it in place in just a couple of last steps so we'll just do that banner when we do stream stuff which you are going to get back to more regular streaming uh moving forward here <laughs> having the last few weeks just because it's been chock-a-block um <coughs> but especially when kickstarter number two kicks off probably going to kick off end of may um we'll be going back to our daily or closest to it updates as we can and we'll work in the other streaming stuff that I like to do back into the mix again. Um, I think I'm going to get away from the trying to do the Warship Wednesday thing specifically on the Wednesday because I find that it ends up being just another thing on the schedule. And my schedule's already kind of bonkers, and it's not, a, it ends up being. As you've noticed, half the time I miss it. Um, so I think I'm going to convert that to being a naval history talk. It's also a little less awkward than Warship Wednesday. It's like, are you praying? No, I'm talking about naval history. Uh, so we'll just do that periodically from time to time, as opposed to on the set schedule. And there's a few other um, topics slash philosophical slash other things that I'm going to want to occasionally interject, so I'll have a different opening for those too. But... Again, this is all of the part of the millions of different things I want to get done. And uh, 
stand by as they come to pass in the uh, characteristically sporadic nature and manner that they tend to around here. Um, what else is going on? <laughs> as I said, we're getting the, the current challenge stories, continuing to plug away on, on with them, doing well on that. And yeah, all right, getting into almost getting into in late spring, summer here. Things are getting warm again. I mean, it, was, it never gets cold in San Diego, but it was a little more chilly, a lot more rainy than normal this year, hence my stupid allergy cough thing. Um, but we, uh, yeah, so be more time out and about doing stuff, and maybe we'll find some things to share as we do that, maybe not. Um, but we are going to continue to do Story Saturday because at this point that's the brand <laughs> and it's it's fun it's just uh something if nothing else i'm going to keep that up so speaking of which next week we're moving on to story 46 coming near the end of this thing i have to figure out what i'm going to do after this great challenge thing is done fortunately we'll have the new challenge first volume collection out maybe i can move on to that but i think i'm going to do a couple other things first just to uh do put, put, pick up a buffer if you will of things to do but anyway <clears throat> story 46 is legacy this is a story for next week is a story set in my glimmer veil chronicles universe uh if you have read glimmer veil and if you haven't you really need to um there's a character in that named salam who is a uh, a not a stranger to the town, but he's been in the town. He's been in the town longer than our two, our, our two main characters. Uh, but he's not from there, and he's, you know, he, he's clearly got a backstory. And this tells a little bit of his backstory before Glimmervale starts. So that's cool. I liked writing it. You will like listening to it and reading it or whatever. Uh, so come back next week for that. And I think that's it. Make sure, if you are watching this or listening to it, that if you haven't subscribed to what the, the video channel or podcast channel that you have it on, make sure you do that. Make sure that you like and leave reviews and all the other fun stuff you're supposed to do to help out with algorithms. And then, of course, don't forget to go buy books and tell your friends to go buy books. And, you know, since I mentioned it, don't forget to go pick up the Writers of the Future book because... These anthologies are always awesome. And I think you'll enjoy them. I haven't read these stories yet, but based on past history, uh, the vast, they should all be pretty great. In addition to the uh, normal uh, new writers, there's stories in here from uh, Kevin J. Anderson and uh, L. Ron Hubbard. And there's essays from Christine Catherine Rush and an essay from Hubbard and from... Uh, one of the illustrator uh, judges, I believe. And yeah, it's overall good reading. Nice, thick. Not a good, good, good use of your time. Okay, I'm going to sign off. Thanks for sticking around. Uh, until then, until then, until next time, have fun, but don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. For information on my books, visit michaelkingswood.com or visit my web store at ssnstorytelling.com. 
My books are all available through all the various e-tailers, but buying direct from me nuts me the most profit. For information on new releases and other special deals in the future, sign up for my newsletter on my website. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music is copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved.